So this this is the Sunday where we have this is the first Sunday of the of the month. So what that means is um, we teach here for about twenty five minutes, then you guys go to breakouts afterwards, right? So I'll talk for about twenty five minutes or so, and then we'll do breakouts in breakout rooms. And the purpose for that, once again, is just to help your leaders better know who their kids are, right? One of the questions I always I thought if I just kept talking, you'd, you'd stop talking, but that didn't work, so I'm just going to stop now. <laughs> so, um, but the reason for that is my leaders have always told me that it's hard for us to really know who our kids are whenever we're all at different tables and stuff like that. So once a month we're doing this deal where we just skip over music and we just have you guys go to breakouts afterwards, and uh, we'll do that again today. So we are in a series on Hosea. Today is the second to last week in the series, so we'll finish this whole series uh, next Sunday. And you'll watch the final concluding video in the video series we're watching with, with Hosea as well. So quick review. Hosea was a what? Prophet. Everyone say it loud and clear. Hosea was a what? Prophet. He was married to... What's her name? And she was a what? Prostitute. It's funny when you're saying that word. She was a prostitute. Sing it slowly. All right, so listen, listen. So Hosea is married to Gomer. He's married to a promiscuous woman. And God had, listen, God had him marry a promiscuous woman. Why? There's no way to interpret what you're saying. Because that's what Israel, Israel was cheating on God. And Hosea was going to be speaking to Israel. Listen. And God wanted Hosea to be speaking with tears in his eyes to say, you guys are being just like my wife, right? That was the point of Hosea. So we've looked at this book for the last few weeks. Now today, we're looking at only two verses in the whole book. And we're talking about hypocrisy today. And um, I think one of the, it's, it's always safe to say that that's one of the the biggest buzzwords, right? You're being a hypocrite. Like, no one wants to be called a hypocrite. Like, call them anything else but a hypocrite. No one wants to be referred to as a hypocrite. So the question is, what is a hypocrite? I want to define this for you out of the gate. So a hypocrite, one commentator I read said this. He said, a hypocrite is an outward image that masks an inward reality. If someone is is trying to project a certain image of themselves while at the same time trying to mask something on the inside, masking an inward reality, that person would be a hypocrite. Another thing I want to mention about this, go to my next slide. A hypocrite is not a Christian who simply struggles honestly with sin. So if you're a Christian and, and, and someone else sees you sin, let's say an unbeliever sees you sin, and they're like, oh, you're a hypocrite, hypocrite. That's not the definition of a hypocrite. If you're struggling honestly with sin, like, yeah, man, I messed up, I struggle, like every Christian struggles, that's not the same thing as a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who's intentionally trying to mask their sin. It's not a Christian who struggles honestly and openly with their sin. Next slide. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be someone they are not. Another way of saying it. How many of you in the room are involved in drama? And I don't mean like drama. I mean theater, right? Theater. Raise your hand. 
If I said, if I meant drama, like everyone raises their hand on that one, right? You guys are all involved in drama. You know you are. Um, but raise your hand if you're involved in theater. Raise it high. Theater. Theatre. All right. So those that are involved in theater, you know, listen, you know that whenever you are a character in a performance, that you, you learn the lines, you learn the movements, you learn the staging, you learn how to take on the persona of the character you're playing, correct? You study them, you observe them, you, you learn, you read about them, you learn how to take on the personality and characteristics of the person you are playing. Now, back in the Greek days, listen, back in the Greek days, the word hypocrite wasn't actually a negative word. Do you know who it, it was describing, the word hypocrite? It was describing people that play in the theater, people that do theater, because they are, that's, that's the word used to describe. So that word became associated with people in faith, in Christianity, that were playing a role. They're not real. They're playing a role. So the word became negative after it was just describing someone who does theater, right? And so in many ways, hypocrisy, that's what hypocrisy is. It is someone who is, they learn how to play the game. So they come to church. They learn how to say the right things. They learn how to play the role. They learn how to make people think they are a certain way when deep inside, they're really not that way at all. So this is the person who learns how to speak Christianese. This is the person who learns how to raise their hands at the exact right moment in the song. And this is the person who learns how to cry at just the right moment. But deep down inside, they know they're just playing a role. Like an actor in a play, they're just playing the role. And they're fooling everyone. This is exactly what the nation of Israel was doing. They're playing a role. They're, they're taking on these, these things they think they're supposed to be, but their heart deep down is far from God. They're just playing a role, like actors in a play. So look at Hosea chapter 8. We're going to look at verse, just verses 1 and 2. Hosea 8, verse 1 and 2. And this is God, um, and this is Hosea speaking to the nation. He says, set the trumpet to your lips, because the trumpet was used as like an instrument of announcing coming destruction. That's how they would let everyone know that there's coming destruction. They'd set the trumpet to their lips to announce the enemy is on his way. So it says, set the trumpet to your lips, one like a vulture. Who's the vulture here? The vulture is Assyria. Assyria is their enemy, a pagan nation. A pagan nation has been identified by God to come and judge God's chosen people, the Israelites. So the vulture is Assyria. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, my God, we Israel know you. So God has assigned Assyria to show up on the scene and punish Israel for their idolatry. Let that sink in for a moment. This is God's chosen people, the Israelites, and God has chosen a pagan nation, not a, God that, not a nation that worships God. They're pagan. He's chosen the Assyrians to come to the Israelites and judge them and destroy them and scatter them. God's using a pagan enemy to judge his own people. And so how does Israel respond to the news? 
it says here they have this they have this national cry and it says my god we israel we know you now what do you think they're trying to do when they say that what do you think they're trying to appeal to with god when they say that to him they're trying to play that card like but hey you know we're we're tight like we're 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 boys you and i god right they're trying to play that card like you you know us. Like, we're, we're your chosen people. We know you. Why would you possibly send someone like that, the Assyrians, to come and destroy us? We know you. We belong to you. How can you do this to us? Many of you guys know my friend uh, Simon from way across the pond. He lives over in London, and he spoke at our last, uh, I guess, two impact camps ago. He'll be speaking at this coming impact as well, impact camp. And, uh, He'll bring his whole family this time, so you get to see the entire British clan. And, uh, but recently, um, he and I Skyped quite a bit, uh, just talking back and forth. And so um, we were sharing some, some parenting war stories recently. And he was asking how the family's doing and stuff. We were talking about discipline. Like whenever you discipline your child, I mean spanking. Yes, we believe in spanking. It's not abuse. It's just, you know, it's done the right way. But we believe in that. And and uh, he's described, I'm, I'm telling stories of like what my son does and whenever he's about to get a spanking and just how it can be kind of comical what he does. I don't laugh in the moment. I laugh later on, of course. Um, but uh, he's describing to me what his son, you guys met his son Malachi at the last impact camp. And so his son Malachi, he's describing how smart his son is whenever he's about to get disciplined. Malachi's a smart kid. He's only like five or six now, but he's done this for a couple of years apparently. So Simon's about to, you know, explain why he's getting a spanking and so on. And when he gets the little, whatever he uses, a spoon or whatever, um, he gets that out. Malachi resorts to this line. He says things like, but I'm your son. How can you do this to your son? And it's funnier when I say that with the British accent, you know. So that's what he says. He's a four- or five-year-old kid. He's trying to appeal to this, like, if I can just appeal to Simon's, to my father's, you know, compassion, right? But I'm your son. Like, how can you possibly do that to your son, dad, right? And this is exactly what the Israelites are doing. They're saying those very words to God. Like, we're, we're your people. How can you do this to us? How can you bring this kind of destruction to us? Because here's what I want you to get from this. Listen. When you and I are not in a right relationship with God, we do not understand his discipline. We don't take his discipline well when we are not in a right relationship with him. So why does God do this to his people? He does it because he loves his people. He loves his people. He wants the best for his people. This is why he sends an enemy to bring destruction because he wants them to turn to repentance. This is his goal. And another question you might be asking is, okay, how does all this relate to hypocrisy? We're, we're getting there. Don't worry. We're getting there. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12 now. Hebrews chapter 12, verses uh, 6 through 11. Here's what it says. This describes for us why God brings discipline many times through suffering. Here's what it says. Hebrews, 12, chapter six, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what is there whom his father, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I want you to see this. God is treating you as sons. God's treating you as sons. So here's the deal. If, if God brings about some suffering in our life as a form of discipline for us, the response should be, I, I know it, it's not like this in, in the moment, but the response should be, that means I'm his son. That means I'm his son. He's disciplining me because I'm his son. Think about that for a minute. God is treating you as sons. Verse 8. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Verse 9. Besides this, we have, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. So if I were to survey the room right now, if I were to say, how many of y'all think that disciplining children is a good idea? Like you'd raise your hand. You would. Now, not what happens to you, but you'd raise your hand and say, yeah, that's a great, that's a good idea because I've been at HEB before and I've seen that crazy kid who's like throwing a temper tantrum and the mom or dad is just like, whatever, right? Like you've been, you've seen that kid and you know that's not going to turn out well. Like you, you know where that kid's going to end up one day and even though when it happens to you, you hate it, you still know intellectually that's a good thing for discipline to be happening from a parent to a child. So here's the point he's trying to make. If you've had earthly fathers discipline you, and it leads to respect, an idea of like, I know who's in control because of that man disciplined me, right? He's in charge. If, if, if it led to respect from an, to an earthly father, then what must it be like from a perfect heavenly father? What must that discipline lead to? It must lead to even a greater respect because Here's the deal. Listen, if we get disciplined by an imperfect earthly father and it leads to respect, then how much greater is it when we're disciplined by a perfect heavenly father? The problem is that most people turn and run from God when they go through suffering. They don't like him for that. Look at the next phrase. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. It's really rare that after I discipline my son that he's like, thank you, Father, Right? Thank you, Father, for loving me so well. That's never what he says afterwards. Usually it involves screaming and crying, right? So in the moment, yeah, it's not pleasant, but look what it leads to. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we know that every good father disciplines his children. If I were to survey the room, you would say that. You would say, yeah, I, I, I believe that. I agree with that. And so... Look at, what it, look at what it brings in verse 11. I want you to see this again. Look at what it leads. I'll, I'll say this one more time. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I've got a cousin uh, who lives in Houston. He's an incredibly smart kid. He's actually a, uh, about 20 years old now. I keep calling him a kid. He's actually a man now. But he's, 
He's 20. I'm 35, so I feel old compared to him. So to me, he's like a little kid still. But he's 20. He goes to, uh, to Yale. And, yeah, the real Yale. And uh, he's a smart guy. Um, I've watched him grow up, though. And his parents are not Christians. His parents are now divorced. Dad's a real um, big-time doctor at MD Anderson. He's an anesthesiologist, real driven. Never had much time for his, his only son. And so parents are divorced. Mom's not a Christian. Dad's an atheist. Um, but the kid, the parents bought into the lie that discipline somehow crushes the spirit of a child. And so they let him get away with everything. And so we're, at, at Christmas time, we're playing a board game or something like that. Like he was the kid that you just hated playing. He's so competitive and just so like would cheat and lie and do whatever it takes to win a game. And you're just like, fine, dude, just you win. Fine. You ha- have your little game, right? And um, if he ever did something wrong, it was never disciplined. It was always just kind of let it go because his parents thought that, you know, if you discipline children, they're going to they're gonna rebel. I'm like, no, it's kind of the opposite, right? That's when they rebel because no one disciplines them. And now I see the fruit of all that. He's 20 years old and a smart, smart kid, smart guy, but one of the most insecure people you will ever meet. One of the most insecure people you'll ever meet because he's been taught his whole life that nothing you do is wrong. There's no boundaries. He's in control. He's in charge. And that's not the way life works. And so when someone is released from a home like that and they're released out into the world, they realize that's not how life works. That's not how things work. It leads to someone being a monster in their relationships. It leads to being a monster in their friendships and their potential marriage relationship. And it leads to destruction. And so in her effort, in his mom's effort to not crush his spirit, she's done just that. She's crushed him. So once again, how does all this relate to hypocrisy? Here's how it relates. The hypocrite never, listen, The hypocrite never responds well to discipline. The hypocrite never responds well to suffering. Because they are blind to their sin, and they think God owes them something. So when God disciplines someone who's a hypocrite, they think, wait a minute, God, like I was playing by the rules. I was following all the rules, the rules that I thought were there. And so when God disciplines them trying to expose their sin, They don't respond well to that. They don't respond well to suffering because they think God owes them, and they are blind to their sin. Listen, when you and I suffer, most people, when they suffer, they either run from God or run to God. No one stays in neutral when they suffer. But when you and I suffer, most of us think, I hear this all the time from students, I'm angry at God because he didn't do this, this, and this for me. Therefore, I don't believe in him anymore. And it's this weird leap we make. Like, I mean, let's, let's just break this down. If you had parents, which you do, if you, if, if you got mad at your parents, would your next thing be, Mom, Dad, I'm mad at you. I don't believe you exist. No, that doesn't make any sense. You would just say, I'm upset at you. I'm mad at you. So why is it that being angry at God leads to this conclusion that he must not exist when you're angry at someone that you don't think exists, right? 
And so people make these conclusions like this, and what happens is when people suffer under God's discipline sometimes, they think they're just angry at God because of the discipline. But here's the reality. When you and I suffer under God's discipline, who we really are comes out. That's when who you really are comes out, right? You can't look at it like, okay, well, I only acted that way towards God because of what he did to me. No, no. You might think that. But those things were in you all along. That expectation. Like, you may not have been angry at God before, but when you didn't get your way, what happened was your expectation wasn't met, therefore you're angry at God. That's what a hypocrite does. The hypocrites do not respond well to suffering, do not respond well to God's discipline. And so the Israelites say, but we're, we're your people, we know you. And so they have this knowledge about God, but it's a dead knowledge. It's dead. They cry out to God, but they reject his truth. I want you to see, uh, go to my next slide, I want you to see the effect of hypocrisy. I read this uh, quote this week, and I loved it, so I want to put it up on the screen for you. The outward... Outward, outward religious activity conceals inward rebellion. Outward religious activity conceals inward rebellion. Again, a hypocrite is not just a Christian who struggles with sin. It's not just someone who says, yeah, I struggle, I mess up, I'm, I'm on this pathway towards Christ-likeness, but it's a tough pathway. That's not a hypocrite. It's someone who is concealing something that's inside of them, and they have all this activity on the outside to sort of mask what's happening on the inside. It's someone who pretends to be someone they're not. It is someone who wears a mask and intentionally covers up sin. In fact, in one of your, uh, one of your breakout questions, I want you to have a little debate in, your, in one of your breakout questions. The debate goes like this. So if, if, if you determine that you are a, uh, let me just go ahead and get the Actually, it's over there. Never mind. I'll, I'll get it in a minute. But if, uh, if, if you determine that you struggle with hypocrisy, the question is, should you keep on doing outward religious activity in hopes that God uses that to bring about repentance? Or should you quit those things altogether? That's the question. So be thinking about that as you, as you head to breakouts in a moment. But that's the question I want you to think about in relation to this question, in relation to this statement right here. So the question is, how do you know if hypocrisy is something you deeply struggle with. And I'll just say right out of the gate that if you say, I never struggle with that, then you're a hypocrite, right? <laughs> That's the way this works. So everyone struggles with this, but I want to ask some questions to kind of get you thinking about what are some ways you might struggle with this. So the first question is, are you honest about your sin struggles? Now, I don't mean like you're in the line of H-E-B and you're just like blabbing about all your sin to people. Like, let me tell you what I struggle with, right? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying around, around people that you know and trust, are you honest about confessing those things to, to those people? The next question, do you do good works for human praise? Do you do things for human praise? There's a verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, that says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, which made me wonder, did they really do that? Did they... Is this like a metaphor, or do they really do this in their culture? Like a guy's about to give someone to the poor, and it's like, da-da-da-da, right? And then they're like, everyone's watching, son. I'm going to give to the poor. Did that really happen, or is that just metaphor? 
as the hypocrites do in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So when someone gives just to bring themselves praise, that's all they're going to get. It's just the, the affirmation of knowing that, yeah, everyone thinks you're awesome. Isn't that great? Now what? Now you better keep it up. Now you better keep it up. Next question. Do you focus on others' sin while ignoring your own? Are most of your conversations, this goes back to the, the verse where it says, you know, before you, you know, pull the plank out of someone else's eye, or pull the plank out of your own eye before you pull the speck out of someone else's eye, right? This goes back to that idea. Do you focus on other people's sin while ignoring your own? Are most of your conversations about everyone else's sin, and you hardly ever confess your own sin to other people? Are you more concerned with people's perception of you than real heart change? Next slide. Are you more concerned with people's perception of you than real, true heart change? Then the last question. When you suffer under God's discipline, do you get angry? Like the Israelites, do you get angry when you suffer under God's discipline? That is one of the the prime ways you know whether or not you struggle with hypocrisy. Because the, the hypocrite thinks God owes them something. The hypocrite thinks that they don't deserve suffering because they're just, they're okay. They're okay. God owes them, God owes them something. I want to close out with a story before you guys go to breakouts. Um, I am convinced that as a youth pastor, there are certain things that happen to me in life so I can tell you stories like this during these talks. I'm totally convinced of this because things happen to me right before I've got to talk about that subject. And it's really crazy, right? So I've got this across-the-street neighbor named Jerry. And uh, he is a guy, I've known, I've known him for eight years, but the guy never talks to anyone. He's one of those neighbors where everyone kind of knows, like, don't mess with him. He's kind of a, his, his marbles aren't all quite there, you know? And, uh, and, I've, I've seen him have run-ins with everybody else in the street except me. Like, I've seen him in yelling matches with people across the street about stuff. And just, it's really, really crazy. And I've tried to be a good neighbor to him. And, uh, but about a week and a half ago, apparently I failed miserably. So, what happened was, I was uh, blowing leaves down my, um, my driveway. And what I normally do is I'll mow the leaves off the grass. This time of year, it's not like you're mowing the grass. You're really just vacuuming up the leaves, right? And so I was doing that, and, uh, and I was taking the leaf blower and, and blowing the leaves down the driveway, a few of them out in the street, and I normally blow them, like, all the way down the street, like, all the way to the end, right? Because everyone's, everyone's leaves are, like, in the street at this point. And so what I was contributing, though, to the leaf collection in the street was very small and minute, but there were tons of leaves out in the street already, right? So I'm walking down the street just with my leaf blower, kind of blowing leaves down the street, trying to get them out of in front of everyone's house, Right? Well, apparently, I guess he had seen me doing that and thought I was, like, blowing them over to his curb, which I was not doing. That's how he interpreted what I was doing. So um, I finished up, and he's out in his front yard now with his leaf blower, right? And, uh, and, and it, before he turned around, I said, I said, hey, Jerry, how's it going? And I got, like, no response. And I'm like, ooh, did I do something wrong, right? And, uh, and so then I realized what he's doing. He's coming down to his curb and he begins to blow leaves from his curb, like, over to my house, right? He's like, and I'm just going, really? Is this really happening right now? 
And so instead of being a, you know, a coward, I was like, okay, I'll go talk to him. So I walked down and I just said, hey, man, I said, I'm, I said, I'm sorry. I, I was not trying to pull leaves to your curb. And he just like starts cursing me out. We're in the street and he's just like throwing every word at me imaginable. And I'm going, okay, stay calm. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. This is your turn, Holy Spirit, right? And, and so something, something kind of came over. I was like, I somehow stayed calm. I have no idea how, right? I do. It's really the Holy Spirit, right? Because <laughs> it wasn't me. And, uh, and so I stayed calm, and I just said, I said, Jerry, I said, I was not trying to blow leaves to your curb. Um, I can fix whatever the problem is, but I was not trying to. And then the guy starts calling me a liar. He says to me, he goes, you're lying. I saw you do it with my own eyes. And he goes, then he said this. He said, you're supposed to be a Christian. You're a hypocrite. You are a liar. I watch you do it with my own eyes. He said, that's why people don't go to church because of people like you. You're a hypocrite. And I'm sitting there going, dang it, now i got to be a Christian. Right? I mean, once you played the faith card, I'm like, now I can't chew you out because you just called out my faith, right? So at that point, I knew I can't get angry at this guy. I can't do it. And so long story short, we kind of worked it out, and he didn't apologize, but I think he simmered down. And after that, I cleaned up the whole street with a broom. I was like, I'm going to make him see me work. I was like out in the street going, you know, cleaning the street in front of his house, you know, making sure um, that he knows, like, I'll go out of my way to make sure that this is not a problem, right? And so I don't want you to focus on that because here's the deal. When he said that to me, when he caught out my faith, there was a part of me. There was what I wanted to say. And there was what I actually said. What I wanted to say was, oh, yeah, well, what religion do I get to call out based on how you're acting, right? What religion do, I mean, is it atheism? I mean, should I come back with, you know, well, all you atheists are a bunch of jerks. Look at the way you're talking to me. That's why I'm not an atheist because of people like you, right? That's what I wanted to say, but that's not what I said. But what stuck with me after that conversation or yelling match was uh, the fact that he believes, he really believes that it's people like me, hypocrites, that people like him don't go to church and don't want to be Christians. And so with that, I want you guys to go to breakout. So what we'll do is, uh, is we'll, we'll dismiss here just based on grades. So, you know, if there's visitors in the room, you'll know who to follow. So let's uh, dismiss freshman guys, freshman girls first. Leaders, the discussion sheets are at the ping pong table over there. So leaders can grab those. Freshman girls, freshman guys. Which I got to know if we have our freshman guy leaders here. I don't think we do. Clinton's gone. I don't see uh, Isaiah. Anthony, you're the man. Freshman guys. How about Anthony and Alex Strickland? You guys can both do that, uh, freshman guys. And then sophomore guys and girls. Again, discussion sheets are over here at the table. So leaders take those. Sophomore guys and girls head out. They're over there on the t- table, ping pong table.
And then upperclassmen guys, upperclassmen girls. And guys, try not to go past like 12.15 or so. you got about 25 minutes.